This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. So what happens when a bunch of pastors with theology degrees talk about technology? You're about to find out. This is Device and Virtue. Welcome back to a special episode of Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. Uh, coming to you from Chicagoland, Oak Park specifically, because we are in a special location. I am Chris. And I'm Adam. Yeah, we are here at Calvary Memorial Chapel, where they just got done with two days of a conference called Techne. Techne. Greek. Greek. <laughs> for, for tool, right? Yeah. Or, um, or but it, what most people will hear is like, it sounds like technology, yeah. right? Sort of the word that leads to technology. That's one half of the word. Yeah. The, the subtitle of the conference is uh-huh. it a subtitle. Yeah. Conferences know. have subtitles. Uh, a Christian vision of technologies. Yeah. So it was hosted by the Center for Pastor Theologians and, uh, which is a cool group. It is a cool group. They, they're doing some great work and it's, Really, uh, lots of pastors who are getting together, thinking theologically about um, big issues uh, that their churches are facing, but they're thinking deeply, uh, biblically, right, theologically, right. and they're thinking about it together, right, right, um, so that they can inform their congregations, some and, super and serve, serve their congregations. Some super smart people here. Yeah, uh, it w- it was a really really uh, enjoyable conference. They they did some deep thinking, and I, I felt informed by it, and uh, just reminded of why we do what we do. With device and virtue. What do we do, Adam? <laughs> this is a podcast, Chris. Okay. <laughs> with device and virtue, thinking yeah. about like the ethics of how our technology intersects with life. Ab- absolutely. So, uh, Chris, what was something that stood out to you from the conference? Yeah, I brought stuff. You have stuff. Um, let me bring up this one. Uh, we uh, on the first day we had a pastor named Dan Brenzel, who is the pastor of Grace Church of DuPage here in Chicagoland. Yeah, and he talked a lot about the way that uh, some ways that the church interacts with technology. And I want to play you this thing that he said. Okay. So yeah, Dan, uh, uh, you teach at which church? Uh, it's called Grace Church of DuPage. It's in uh, Warrenville, Illinois. Um, so that's just south of Wheaton. I, I do some, I've done some adjuncting at Wheaton, but but yeah, primarily I'm rooted in the local church. It's so, uh, yeah, well, we loved your paper last night. Uh, tell me about the different ways you're categorizing uh, the culture and sort of how we relate to that and technology. Yeah, I mean, the the simple way that I tried to frame it is that there, there are approaches that, that look at um, how we wisely use technology. I call that and it's not just me, but but largely we could call that broadly we could call that the instrumentalist approach. Okay. Think of think of technology as stuff that we use and that and that um, we wield. Sometimes we make we're manufacturers of these tools, um, but all that's kind of instrumental making and using. Sure, and make a um, backhoe. Exactly, and you can and you can have a broad range then of what counts as technology. It could be just as a very kind of cool tool like a backhoe or like a shovel or a hammer or you right. could have a very like a hot media technology like internet or video um, um, so so but all of that I think 
most approaches that I've found, um, or at least popular level um, um, considerations of the question of technology for a Christian, focus on how do we use it wisely, yeah, okay. which makes sense. I mean, a lot of popular level literature is written to kind of individual Christians and how do you live faithfully in your individual sure, lives. Sure, how do I use this well? Exactly. So so instrumentalists, uh, another one that I think is... is, is um, uh, helpful um, and coming at it slightly differently is, um, uh, for lack of a pithy way of talking about it, focuses on the impacts various technological tools and technological orientations might have on us. Um, so, so at the conference here, Felicia Wu Song, for example, addressed um, various ways in which kind of being immersed in a in a in a social media uh, context changes how we view relationships how we view mm. our personal identity sure. and so so those are those are questions that could be focused on maybe how this how using a particular tool impacts us or how being in a larger orient uh, culture orientation could impact our our outlook on reality our understanding of identity and like you mentioned like nicholas carr <laughs> exactly like, nicholas carr was kind of a like, is google making us stupid yes that was yeah. a kind of a lightning rod just but a, 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 a kind of a he he's an icon of kind of this this second approach of of asking what's the impact on us on okay. on on our practical lives impact on our on our moral and and um, theoretical outlook uh, on on reality. So the instrumentalist and the impact, mm -hmm. and, then and then there might be a, a third route would be um, trying to trying to. Identify helpful practical strategies to resist those, at least the negative impacts. Uh, a kind of a communitarian, because because at least the best strategies that I'm aware of focus not just kind of on personal isolated individual decisions, but how we can kind of build up uh, a, a a communal orientation otherwise or communal practices of resistance otherwise. And so my my particular um, call at the conference was um, in all three of those approaches, very rarely do you actually consider um, ecclesiology proper or the role of the church sure, per right. se. And so that was what I was trying to trying to at least provide some beginning ways of thinking through is, is number one, where the church might fit in these questions as the institutional, visible, local, gathered church. Um, and then not only say that here's a place for it, but, but it's a crucial place, I think, for Christian faithfulness. Yeah, so cool, right? He comes up with like three different things, the instrumentalist yeah. approach, the yeah. impact approach, and sort of a resistance approach. Just as different three ways, I think he's noticed like <laughs> people writing like Christian books on the top of technology, yeah. maybe yeah. not just Christian, but like how do we get to these things? Yeah. What do you think? Well, yeah, it was, I enjoyed listening to him because it was a bit of a uh, walk down memory lane for me because he was citing a number of thinkers that I was reading um, along the way as I sort of got to learn and know about um, sort of technology and technology sure, criticism. Sure, sure. Um, you know, he mentions Shane Hips and Marshall McLuhan who kind of uh, fall into a bit of an impact approach, how technology affects me, how it's shaping me, how the larger culture might be shaping me as sure. they adopt it. He mentioned uh, Brian Brock in his uh, discussion uh, who um, kind of critiques the instrumentalist approach um, and thinks through that, uh, and and I found that book to be really uh, deep and uh, challenging, but very uh, insightful. And then uh, he uh, goes on to talk about like people like Wendell Berry, who kind of is the resistance strategy kind of guy, um, <laughs> right. and and uh, he he brings him up uh, in a kind of really significant way, uh, as we'll hear next. 
So what did you mean by the path and the road? Sure. Uh, so I'm, uh, there I'm, I'm, I'm just stealing from Wendell Berry, who has this image in an in a, um, essay from a long time ago about a path and a road. He says the difference between a path and a road um, is in, in many ways um, really, really profound. A path, if you think of a path through a forest, a path is necessarily jagged and it goes all over the place and that's in many ways because the path is responsive to the reality before it a path you walk mm, you walk mm. along in the forest and you find this giant tree and you don't just cut it down you walk around it you find a find a stream sure, right. and and you don't you can't you don't, can't just build a bridge over it you walk along with the stream for a while until you see some sort of land uh, uh, crossing um, or maybe a downed tree or something but but sure, uh, right. when you're going through a path you necessarily are responding to the reality around you okay um, and and a road, by contrast, um, views the uh, destination it's headed as um, the only thing that it's looking at. And anything in the way is um, is easily removable and, in fact, must be removed because you just you're... pave through it. Yeah, exactly. Your, your agenda is get to point B. Your agenda is not be responsive to anything that you encounter in between. Okay. And so... So the road sounds bad. But. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and I think one thing I'd want to say is it's, it's not that roads are inherently bad. It's not that making is inherently bad. Uh, but if, if your only orientation in life is making, sure. then you're not responding to reality that's outside of you in any healthy way. And so we need to, we need to have a, a, a realm, a place, a practice that cultivates that responsiveness so that we're actually faithful in our making and not just, um, not just uh, distorting reality. So this image is really fascinating, huh? Yeah, yeah I really it, liked it. And it's Wendell Berry's sort of famous author that wrote about it, but I like how Dan is using it here. Um, sort yeah. of this idea that the human beings by nature do move. They move from place to place. Yeah. The path or the road is sort of ways to get there. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't deny that humans do that. Yeah. Uh, but what it does say is how humans do that matters. And one way you can sort of be aware of the environment and not destroy the environment, to use the environmental metaphor. And the other way can can really sort of blast yeah. through it. Yeah. Um, and he's using this as a technology sort of idea of the path sort of um, curves with the environment. The, the He also mentioned this other thing about this, the... Um, the Robert Frost poem. Do you remember the poem <laughs> yeah. where he talked about um, the pa- the road less traveled? Yeah. Um, that we think about that one, you know. Uh, yeah. And because yeah, you learn it in school or something, and uh, it, and he sort of said, "Oh, it's a, people think of it as one that like, oh, this person's a very independent, beautiful, artistic person, and they chose the path the path that most people didn't choose." Yeah. yeah. But he said at the end of the day, um, uh, the title of the poem is called "The Road Not Traveled." And what he what he notices with the path is that it means um, the 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 people go before you. That a path is something that not you trailblaze on yeah, your own. The paths were already there, but the paths were there. And he says, "What if the church creates the path for us? What if the church, in thinking about how do we live in an environment of technology and the world around us, has people that are going ahead of us and but but appropriately contour to things, and then we sort of follow in those steps? Yeah. And it might be a different set of steps than the rest of the world is following in terms of paving a road." through yeah. but we're still moving yeah but we have the wisdom of the people in front of us loved it yeah and uh by contrast then the road is sort of um the way that technology is making the path for us and yeah technological culture even or something yeah yeah technology technological culture i mean the internet is sort of a an, uh, representation of that but it's much broader than that sure 
Um, and yeah, so these two roads, these two, <laughs> these two routes, the, <laughs> right, the, the road and the path might both get us from point, from point A to point B. It might be the same point A, same point B, but the path takes us on one route and the road takes us on another route. And we're going to see different features. We're going to notice different features. We're going to experience dis- different features mm-hmm. in getting from point A to point B. And those experiences are going to inform how we understand both points A and points B. And if we take the the, the church's path versus technology's route, then uh, that's going to that's going to shape how we understand both both of those points and the relationship between them. So if I'm connecting with a person online. I'm going. I'm point A, they're point B, and we're, my relationship. I'm going to understand it in a certain way. I might understand it through their Facebook page, through their Twitter account, through their Instagram, and I'm going to see certain facets of who they are. And that's that's one way of understanding our relationship. But then, if I encounter them in church, and we're both, uh, you know, facing the front, uh, you know, worshiping in front of the altar and the cross. And I encounter them in that context. I'm going to see them in a different way, and um, our relationship is going to take on a different uh, sort of um, character and quality to it. And so, um, the path, the road, uh, are both um, informing uh, our understanding of what what our relationships are. Another person who presented at the conference was uh, Dr. Felicia Wu Song, um, and she is an associate professor of sociology out at Westmont College in California. And uh, she had uh, a lot of great things to say. One thing that uh, stuck with me was uh, something she called normalized permanent connectivity. Normalized permanent connectivity. I feel like sociologists love these like <laughs> these these three word phrases that like can kind of summarize something like uh, continuous partial attention or uh, moral therapeutic deism. Um, yeah, sociologists <laughs> love just they just love these these phrases, right? So uh, uh, Felicia kind of comes through with her own and I, I really like it normalized permanent connectivity um, and she describes this sort of as uh, our current state of consciousness it's it's so the way she described it was um, back in the 90s if you ever if you remember the 90s um, we would go online do, we, we, we would we would sit down in front of this large box um, monitor and and CPU unit at a desk um, mine was in my parents basement like feels classic at this point <laughs> and uh you know you'd hit the dial up and then you'd get into this chat room and you'd talk with these strangers right so that was so you'd have these discrete interactions with random people in chat rooms i totally did this by the it way it was so would, weird would like dial up on the modem and then like yeah. i was a nerd early on I don't yeah. know if everyone did this, but I did. Even some people that weren't nerds did on AOL yeah. later. Like yeah. they get in, you yeah. jump, jump into a chat room right. and talk to like Rambo one two three or something for a yeah. while. You know, yeah, was, yeah. Right? So like, sure. so like, that was that was the nineties. But today, with social media, um, you are consistently or constantly connected, and you're not really connected so much with strangers anymore. Although that maybe maybe happens once in a while. You're connected with friends. 
And that's sort of the expectation is that you're going to be available. It's And it's texting, it's social media, it's Twitter. Um, it's like group chat on WhatsApp that yeah, keeps going. It's all, all, all these things. And so we've gone from these discrete uh, interactions with mostly strangers to constant expected interactions with close relations, friends, family, uh, colleagues yeah. even. Yeah. And, and we've it's become normalized, right? So it's it's normalized permanent connectivity, um, and I find I, I found that really helpful to sort of think about okay, where were we twenty five years ago, and where are we today, um, and and how our expectations have changed, and how our attitudes have changed. Yeah, I, you talk about twenty five years ago, uh, in sitting at the computer, but I think even longer before that. Uh, with this, isn't normalized, uh, what is it, normalized permanent connectivity? Yeah. Normalized permanent connectivity feels a little bit to me, if I'm going to react, like something from like the family back before it was the isolated um, nuclear, uh, nuclear family, family uh, in the suburbs or something, when we sort of moved out into the houses and we, the only way we could talk to each other was maybe by like the long, the visit when you get out of your garage. Like I think of a time when you have grandparents and kids and extended family all sort of in the house and you definitely had some normalized permanent <laughs> connectivity there, uh, uh. you know, where you're sort of brushing up against someone all the time it seems like American culture, at least, in certain, especially middle-class context, isolated down to the fact that the reintroduction of the social connection um, felt like a whole lot more. Uh, but I wonder if people in other parts of the world or other parts of time actually don't feel that strain as much. Mm. That said, mm. uh, the big difference is distance, right? In the family, in the nuclear family or in the extended family, they'd be within the walls. Uh, whereas with the digital experience of me having iMessage on my in my pocket all the time, that distance is obliterated. It means I have normalized permanent activity with a distance family, a distance extended family as well. Yeah, well, and I think you know if you're in the house with your extended family and you're having to deal with all those dynamics, you're there may be some etiquette or some uh, you know friction that happens in order to kind of create. Uh, some semblance of peace within within the home, but then but now we're in a context where uh, we manage that friction very differently. We manage it through maybe isolation, uh, and I think we're also still developing the etiquette around how do I interact with how do I um, manage the con- the expectation that I'm constantly available, um, and we're we're still trying to figure that out. I think society in a, in a big way a lot of the the challenges around digital technology is is a question of etiquette. We don't really have social norms around a lot of this yet. And you and I have talked about this before, but you get individuals that are like, well, I'm just not going to respond to my phone during this time. And that's fine. We even maybe applaud someone thinking about how they live. But the reality is the community needs to decide this because it has a moral meaning when I don't respond to yeah. a friend. And yeah. so uh, it can't just be me. Yeah. we ha- And we need to develop kind of a, a socially um, defined set of meanings in in the same way we've talked about selfies like there's a there's a uh there's a meaning to what a selfie is doing right. and and what when you're doing a selfie what that means are you selfish or are you just enjoying the moment like um we're we're developing together as a society what these these meanings have and we really need to talk it out and not just act it out so Adam one of my favorite 
parts of the conference has been Andy Crouch. Oh, course, yeah. Which I know you and I are both looking forward to hearing from him. He's the author of TechWise Family, you know, yeah. former longtime editor of Christianity Today magazine. Um, he's doing some stuff in New York right now with his think tank and entrepreneur accelerator called Praxis. Yeah. Uh, but really thoughtful guy. And uh, he was talking about the name of the conference, which was Techne. Yeah, yeah. And he sort of said, good name, but, you know, it sort of means tool. Uh, he said, but then we have this other word, technology. And he's like, it's more than that. It's the, te- it's the combination of that and sort of the, you know, the knowledge, the logos, the right. ology, the word. Um, and he said, I think there's a difference between techne, the old tool things, and what we're in today, which is like technology. And there's been like 80 years ago, there was like a, some sort of marking point. And I know he said there wasn't like one point that did right. it, but like a breaking between the way we always use tools mm-hmm. in the history of humankind. For instance, you know, you could use an axe and it would make you your arm sharper and faster and harder. <laughs> uh, you... Um, or the bicycle, which you know you ride and extends how you where you go, makes you faster. Uh, the uh, but he used the the word for this was called instrument, which was a cool word, and it sort of says, hey, like like uh, it's a technology, but it extends the power of a human and engages them, engages them. So a musician. Uh, picks up a violin and plays it. And the, of course the violin is a technology, but can make it beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, or a surgeon uses uh-huh. instruments and uh-huh. these are technologies, but it extends and engages their power. And it's somewhat immersive. Like they're kind of immersed in the use of it right. to some degree. So this is a cool thing. He says, this was happening. And then I give you two examples of ways we use instruments now. But he said, it changed to this sort of, this multiplying force dropped in. And we created these power sources from natural gas and coal. And then we ran wires and the combustion engine. And we created electricity and put plugs mm-hmm. in. And we harnessed, and then we created cybernetic systems, meaning systems that <laughs> have control loops and can become autonomous. And suddenly we use this multiplying force to create technologies that didn't engage us, but they actually disengaged us us. Uh, uh, For instance, uh, a Roomba, a (laughs) robot that runs around the floor and cleans up while you do nothing by sitting on the couch. Although if anyone's used an actual Roomba, you have to go pick it up and save it from itself like lots of times. (laughs) But the, um, and so he says, this is really, really different. These instruments that people use that sort of extend their, their, their task, their mind, their, uh, versus these devices that sort of take away the human engagement. Yeah, I I felt a little unclear about how he was uh, distinguishing instrument and device. But um, as I've given a little more thought and listened to him a little bit more talk about it, um, I don't think he means devices like a high-tech device. Like um, at one point he says, uh, your smartphone you can treat as either an instrument or a device. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, right. And... And so uh, I think he was looking at it and saying, it's not how high tech it is, but maybe it's how you use it in some sense. Like if, if, if you're using it instrumentally, if you're immersed in the use of it, um, and it's, it's sort of, he's kind of parsing it on that engagement line. Um, if you're engaged in what you're doing, actively involved it can be an instrument but if you're disengaged and sort of letting it uh just run on its own it's a device 
Is that kind of how you? I think that's how he's saying it. But I agree. I had some confusions about um, where everything landed on this. He's right. This device, and he's by the way referring to the philosopher of technology Albert Borgman with mm-hmm. his idea called the device paradigm. Um, but when a device sort of takes away our engagement, he's talking about how commercials, like on TV, sell this kind of stuff. They always sort of say like, "Now you can do this," you know. <laughs> or he's like, "Even the better sales line is, you no longer have to, you know, <laughs> cut your hair." <laughs> or drive to the store because the self-driving car does it for you. You know, and this is this is the device paradigm. And I thought this was. And Wait, so what device do you use to not cut your hair? <laughs> Can you know, I get I'm that? about to invent that. <laughs> I have no idea. I just said that. Uh, the, uh, like I thought this is good, but then don't certain things sort of fall in the middle of this? Um, you and I stopped him afterwards, and I was like, "Well, what do you think about a?" A coder, a developer, a yeah. software developer software who's program, coding yeah. stuff, and they like they sound to me like a surgeon or a musician. Those yeah. are some of the examples he's using for an instrument, but they're making yeah. code. And it's like, well, they definitely are a tool user. They're creating; yeah. it's extending it's their powers. It's an instrument for them. The, the the computer's an instrument for them, not just right. But yeah, but I I think then he went on to say, but I think they could be creating devices, um, which I think is is true. And so, how does that fall yeah. in? Um, someone else brought up the question of what is a vaccine mm-hmm. um, in this thing. A vaccine is something that's um, good because he was calling the instruments good and the devices he was saying this is possibly problematic for us. And uh, But a vaccine is not something you do or work or extend it yourself, but a technology that might um, mm-hmm. that might be good. Mm-hmm. I think he winds up saying it's a device, but it's also good. So uh, it's a complicated distinction. Uh, it's really interesting. I think it may be over dichotomized, meaning over-separated into uh-huh. one or the other. Uh, but it is an interesting thought to think about, is it extending our power and engaging us? Yeah. Or is it sort of removing us from the equation and sort yeah. of moving us into like um, the laziness? Well, and I think uh, Dan Brensell's uh, path and road is a similar sort of approach a little bit. Hmm. Um, the 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 instrument is is the is the kind of path that is constantly engaged with um, the world around it and responding to obstructions and rivers and trees and uh, topography. Right. And the the device or the road is only concerned with like the end result, um, you know, getting to getting to the other side, getting to point B or whatever, um, and really doesn't really care about anything else um and so it's it's very much the ends matter the means don't matter and i'm just going to be concerned with getting to the end and i can see those two things informing each other um and helping us to think about um how we're using technology are we using it as a device are we using it as an instrument um are we using it uh actively and in in and responsively to the environment the context around us or are we just kind of obliterate obliterating everything around us and barreling through uh to our goal with no regard for what's around well we're looking forward to if andy's listening uh we're looking forward to uh his book on this which he's writing a book yeah, he's, he's coming book. up with these thoughts i think he probably even added to his thoughts from the smart conversation here at the conference yeah. um and he's working on that next year so we'll be looking forward to sort of seeing that yeah for sure All right, so you know me. You know I kind of really enjoy how technology is sort of related to spiritual formation. 
Um, I'm very interested in how technology as a culture is shaping us. I think that's what's drawn me to the church I attend. It's a, a liturgical sacramental church today. And so when I saw there was a session just simply called sacrament and technology it was like it was like iron to a magnet i i just had to be there <laughs> you had to go to it yeah sacrament and technology sacrament and technology and i i like it because you you think what do those two things have to do with each other right um so uh chris gansky uh presented this session um he's a senior pastor up in milwaukee uh of City Reformed Church, and uh, he got his PhD there in Milwaukee at Marquette University. Um, but uh, you know how I love turns of phrase, and uh, he had this great turn of phrase in sort of defining both technology and, and, and sacraments. He said, um, technology is a tool humans use to make something of the world, and a sacrament is a tool God uses to make something of us. Ooh. All right, I'm going to say that again just because it's so good. <laughs> Technology is a tool humans use to make something of the world, and a sacrament is a tool God uses to make something of us. Okay. So Gansky sort of set up this uh, way of thinking around sacraments and technology um, by going back to Genesis 1 and 2 and thinking about, uh, he, he used these Latin terms, homo faber and homo Adorans, so like um, humans as makers and humans as worshipers. And he said um, in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, the maker and the worshiper were, were unified. But when the fall came, um, the worker and the worshiper were sort of broken apart. So the, the work no longer was the worship and the worship was no longer the work. So this also reminds me about what Dan earlier was talking about sacraments and technology together. Uh, he had a like different take. Uh, let's jump back to that for a second. Can we ask you about the technology of the Eucharist? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you use that phrase. Did yeah. you use that phrase? So, so the way I, I talked about it is that in in the gathering for corporate worship, which necessarily involves at some level the Eucharist or communion, uh, when we stop to ask what's actually being partaken of there, bread and wine, the, the, the material realities of bread and wine are not just kind of um, um, bare nature. It is, it is the product of development of the world that God has created. That's cultural, technological development. Mm. Layers and layers and layers and layers upon it, which is to say in our act of corporate worship, which God himself is inviting us to, we are not called to say, and forget about technology. We're actually bringing it in with us into the presence of God to find its true end, and that is the praise of God and, and communion with one another as his, as his people. So technology is not evil in, of, in and of itself. Um, it, it, there is a path, to use the image that I use, there's a path that it can be redeemed uh, by walking. So. So, you're, so you're saying it's not like we find uh, pieces, loaves of bread just sitting on the ground. Yes. So when I say bread is a product of technological development, I, it, you don't find you know bread trees. You you <laughs> right. crush grain. You you harvest grain. You have to do a bunch of agriculture to get that grain sure. out. You use tools to pull it out. You have right. to do um, culinary. 
development of that material reality and learn how to bake and 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 slice and so there's just uh, there's layers upon layers upon layers of cultural and technological development that's required in order to get bread another another one way that i've talked about this um in the Lord's Prayer, right? You pray, our, our, I think it's remarkable that we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, um, hallowed be thy name. And then the first request in the second half of the prayer is give us this day our daily, and it's not give us this day our daily manna. Don't give us some kind of miraculous food from above. Wow. It's not give us this day our daily um, water, not give us this day our daily grapes even or honey. It's give us this day our daily bread, which I think if you press on that more, we're praying not just for material provision, we're praying for the entire cultural um, um, process that, re- that, that brings about that kind of provision. Adam's falling over so. on the floor because he just doesn't <laughs> like technology, so he doesn't know what to do with this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really good. Man, this was a good conference. This was a lot of fun. It was. Uh, thanks, for, thanks to the CPT for putting it on. It was uh, compelling. Yeah, we're a fan of the Center for Pastor Theologians doing some real good um, combination between ministry thinking and academic thinking. Uh, it's good stuff. And in this case, technology. Techne. Okay, Chris, you know what time it is. <laughs> I do. We, this may be a special edition, but we are still doing Vice or Virtue. Vice or Virtue. All right, we'll do a little differently this time. Vice and virtue of the conference. <laughs> uh, well, people that weren't here uh, might not know. Well, no, though. No, we can tell them the vice and virtue anyway, even if you didn't make it with us. Um, my vice. Yeah? I don't always have a vice. I usually have a virtue. <laughs> uh, we're, we're doing this weirdly. Is definitely that no one was on Twitter. Like, what it, it the was, heck? It was very few. It was... <laughs> It was less than 5%. For a technology conference, the hashtag was yeah. on the screen the whole time. The hashtag I've, was on the screen the whole time. I loved it. I got my iPad out. I was ready to tweet some things. And like, you, there was just all these moleskins and like people scratching away with their pens like you. Hey, I don't there's know. nothing wrong with a moleskin, all right? <laughs> Let's just be clear. A, I saw a spiral-bound notebook. I'm like, this is like remedial. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Hey, I'm all about both and. But yeah, you're right. There, There was you, me, and like three other people on Twitter. I know. No, it was, no good. It was a discussion. little disappointing. How are we supposed to be distracted when we get bored during the speakers? <laughs> I, I do agree though. Like, um, I do think Twitter needs to find a better way to do conferences though. Oh. Because like, I feel like the integration between a conference and Twitter, it doesn't work super great. Anyways, that was your vice. Okay. My virtue is, uh, are you a virtue? Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we got to talk with Andy Crouch and, uh, we uh, got to take a selfie with him. We just did a... Oh, a Andy, s- so nice. It was. We, <laughs> we're teasing. We, 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 we reified the moment. Oh, man. If, if you will have that. Uh, um, episode one. Episode, so, season yeah. three, episode one. Thanks to Andy. Uh, we hope maybe in the future uh, to get him on the podcast. Uh, he said he could do it in a year when he's done with this book. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll, we'll hold him it. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I did hear the book um, for the each year, the Center for Pastoral Theologians puts a de- together the yeah. collection for the conference and puts out a book that you found out about it that. Yeah. I think uh, University Press, I was talking to them uh, here at the conference and I think hopefully fall 2020, they will have a book um, around this whole conference and techne and so, so forth. So people should look into yeah, that. Keep Thanks. your eye out for it. If we you, loved if, recording um, just right here at the location of the conference at Calvary Memorial Church. So thank you yeah, thank so you, much Calvary. for that, um, Gerald Teeston and the whole team here. 
Um, and we have a lot of other topics coming this season with device and virtue. Yeah, we have uh, texting. Yes. We have uh, screen time Ooh, for parents. That came up this week. Yeah, yeah. it did. Emotional tech, uh, tech that reads your emotions. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm and doesn't let you drive. <laughs> we'll talk about all these and more. Um, a lot of fun coming up. Uh, and maybe we can argue a little bit more, Adam. Thank you. Yes. A little bit more antagonistic next time, buddy. All right, I'll try. Okay, bye. Hey, let's keep the conversation going. I think it's an argument. Okay. Tweet to us at Device Virtue. And for links and show notes, check us out at deviceandvirtue.com. And do leave us some love by rating us on iTunes. Yeah, please do. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's M.A. in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.